0: Alright, it is time for us to get started. Hate to break up all the good fellowship. As many of you are aware, we just got done with our men's seminar, and so we're going to be jumping right back in where we left off in the book of James. And where we left off, we were getting very close to the end of chapter 3. We had only a few more verses left for that. So we were going through the section of verses 17 and 18, and just for a little bit of a recap on what we had been talking about, James had been dealing with some of the early issues of the church and some of the conversations that were going back and forth. And one of the main issues that he was dealing with was this division that was going on among the early church and how there was fighting back and forth over really simple and silly things overall. And he was describing how people were allowing the... Wisdom of the world to be the purveying idea, the one that had the most authority. Remember a few, I guess it probably was a few months ago, we had been talking about first century denominationalism in this time and how there were some people who were taking from all these different ideas, all these different religions, and they were saying, well, this is a good idea that the Greeks came up with, so we're going to take this idea. Well, this is a good idea the Jews came up with, so we're going to take this idea. This is a good idea that the Romans came up with. And, oh, by the way, this Jesus Christ guy is pretty good, so we're going to take some of his ideas too. And this was the common idea of the day, that if we just take the best of every religion and every identity, then we're going to come up with the super identity. We're going to come up with the perfect way to live as Christians. Now, that doesn't sound at all like 2024 America, right? doesn't sound at all like what we do. No, the reality is that's what everybody does. In fact, that is the foundation of Western mentality and Western thought came from that of the Greeks and the Romans. If you really look at our founding and look at who the founding fathers, look at who those who established our government and our nation as a whole, who did they idolize? Who did they look to and say, these guys were the smartest of the smart. These guys were the perfect ideas on government and on architecture. You just go to Washington, D.C., you walk down the streets, and you'll see what all those buildings look like is what nation? Greece and Rome. Greece and Rome. So it really makes sense for us that we're going to be dealing with many of the same issues that the first century was dealing with when we based our entire society on their ideas and on their ideologies. And so this is exactly what the early church was having to deal with. So when we look at ourselves and we look at 2024, uh, the 2024 American church, we're going to have a lot of the same hurdles that were taking place in that first century region, that first century time frame. And so that's what James is trying to deal with here. He's dealing with these people who are allowing the wisdom of the world to take over. In fact, in early, or earlier verses here around verse 15, he says, this wisdom, talking about the wisdom of men, does not descend from above, but is earthly Sensual, demonic. For where envy and self seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. I heard a person the other day was describing that our world around us has traded fact for feeling. And that really it comes down to who can make the best argument, not with facts, but how it makes the group feel. Now you say, well, that doesn't happen. We still live in a reasonable society, right? When was the last time you heard a court case and how those lawyers approach those court cases? They'll start, this man might have killed 72 people, and they'll say, You know, when my client was seven years old, he was the sweetest kid on the block. And he just had a rough go in his life and he ended up where he's at today. They'll just spin a sob story. And that is really how that has shifted our society to the point where we determine, even in religion, just what makes us feel good and not what is fact. Not what's good. In fact, you will see many people today who are trying to profess the name of Christ and what are the main things they focus on? Well, Jesus was all about good works. Some of the good works that Jesus did were flipping tables in the temple. Some of the good works that Jesus did was calling out people for their hypocrisy. Some of the good works that Jesus did were telling people they were lost. That has involved all as part of this. You see, good is not simply harmless. That's an important thing to keep note of, that good is not always harmless. Good can cause harm. Good can cause hurt to people's feelings. It can cause people to be uncomfortable, but it is good because it is righteous, not because it is comfortable. In fact, you may have heard many people say when it comes to leadership roles that it really, you need people in power who are willing to make the hard decisions, who are willing to make the decisions that don't make people happy or comfortable. The ironic thing in our mentality when it comes to our world around us is that, well, we live in a republic, so what's our job? We are to try to make the most people happy, right? We make decisions based on what's popular, not on what is actually good because we're trying to keep people happy. But friends, the church is not a democracy. The church is not a republic. We do what is right, not what is comfortable, And so that's what these people were dealing with. They were dealing with self-centeredness. They were dealing with division. They were dealing with, well, I want this to be done, and I want this to be done, and so you're not doing what I want, therefore I'm going to cause a stink. I'm going to cause a problem. I'm going to cause a fight. And the reality is, you look at what they were dealing with. Remember the context of who he's writing to and what their circumstances are. What did we say about the book of James? What is this audience going through right now? What is this early church going through right this minute. Here's a hint. It's in the first chapter, first three verses. Okay, we're dealing with temptations, but what specifically is causing that? Persecution Persecution and being scattered. In fact, that's what he says, right? James, the servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. Those who are Jewish Christians. Now... Remember, these people were living in the realm of Judah. They became Christians. Likely many of them heard what happened on the day of Pentecost and were either converted from that moment or from the fallout later on of the conversations that people were having. So they they saw what was taking place. And now because of persecution, because of the beginning with the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders and then eventually going up to the Roman Empire, they're scattered from their homes. They don't know where they're going to be. They don't know if they can stay in this town that they're in for much longer. When we go to the book of Revelation and we look in Revelation chapter 2 and Paul is—or not Paul, John is writing to the seven churches of Asia, how many of them were dealing with persecution? How many of them were dealing with problems? And how difficult that was for them. In fact, some of them had taken that persecution and they had become wishy-washy on what they believed as well. See, this was not a a unique situation for the first century church when people were describing that this is those who turned the world upside down as they talked about Paul and his followers when he was in Berea. That's how the world looked at the first century church. When people look at Christianity today, there really is a fundamental misunderstanding of who we are. Because if you look at the first century church and you look at what they were doing, these people were considered rabble-rousers. These people were considered disturbers of the peace. You couldn't shut them up about what they believed. They were going to keep spreading it. People kept hearing this message, and it challenged everything they believed. It challenged the status quo. It challenged the accepted lifestyles that were going on. I mean, think about the day and age in which they lived. Okay, so you mean to tell me that the smartest guys in our society are completely wrong? That they don't know what they're talking about? That they believe in all these other gods and they believe in these philosophies, they believe in humanism, they believe in human exceptionalism, they believe in all these things, but you mean to tell me they're wrong? This Roman emperor who believes himself to be a god, you mean to tell me that all his power, all his ability, that he does not have deity... You mean to tell me that the laws that we're allowing in our society, the accepted, immoral nature of our society is wrong? Friends, when these Christians came to the streets, when these Christians began to talk to people about their beliefs, it challenged everything. It was not something that was very popular. So it's quite interesting for us today when we see so many Christians and we see people who claim the name of Christ and they have become a democracy. They've said, well, how can we become more appealing to society? Friends, Christianity was never appealing to society. Never was. See, there are many people in our world today who say, if people just realized how good God was, they would be Christians. That is not necessarily true. Remember in the book of Isaiah how God said, woe to them that call evil good and good evil. Friends, we are in those exact types of moments. People will look at good works and they will find something evil to say about it. You give alms to the poor, they say, Oh, look at him, trying to get kudos from everybody else. You try to help those who are in need and help them back on their feet and they say, Why are you helping people who deserve to be in the gutter? You try to tell people they're wrong and they say, Who are you to tell me I'm wrong when I know you're a person too? That's the world in which we live. Those are the circumstances that we have. And friends, it's not a far stretch from where we are right now to what the first century church was in. Are we prepared for that? Are our minds prepared for that? Because these first century Christians were dealing with all the same kind of fights, the same kind of bickering, the same kind of division that we have today, only we deal with it when there's no persecution behind it. I've heard some Christians and some preachers say before, and I understand their thought process behind it. They say, man, I wish we had some persecution because maybe people would shape up. Well, the first century church was dealing with divisions over petty things in the middle of persecution as well because people just don't change. People are people. From Genesis chapter 2 all the way till now, people are people. And that's our job is to have to reach people, those who are willing to hear those who are willing to accept what is being said. And James is trying to challenge this mentality that's pervading this, this early church, and he's trying to tell them, don't, don't allow this. Don't let this fester. Don't let this grow. This is going to cause you to break. This is going to cause you to falter. Don't allow these things to engage in your congregation. I heard a man on one occasion describe how the church really is like a city under siege. The devil wants to take over a church all the time. He wants nothing more than to see the good works of a church turn to evil. And you know what's fascinating about it? He can do it without anybody noticing. Because if we're not wary, if we're not watching... If we don't prepare ourselves for these things as they come, how often does God describe or talking to Christians say to be watchmen, to be sober, to be vigilant, to be prepared, to notice these things before they come up, to use wisdom, discernment? It's no accident that this was taking place. In fact, even in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 16, towards the end of the passage there, he tells early Christians to avoid those who cause divisions among you to avoid those who are trying to cause stumbling blocks for the work of the Lord. We see this happen again in 3 John, where a man by the name of Diotrephes was trying to hinder the work of the church, so much so he didn't even want an apostle to come because he didn't accept him and didn't hold him in high esteem. See, the first century church had problems just as much as we have today. So the question when we go through these studies, and we go and we try to break down these passages... It really is learn from the mistakes of the past. Learn from what these people dealt with. Learn from the things that they were doing wrong and improve upon them. Be wary of these things. So then he goes down to verse uh, 17. If someone could read verses 17 and 18, please. Okay, so before we go into this next section, are there any comments, questions, anything you want clarified on the previous sections before we move on? Anything at all? This is a class, guys. You can talk if you want to. All right, let's go on with this next section here. As we've talked about from a consistency in James' writing style, was this compare and contrast. He would write about something evil, show the character of it, and then compare it to what should be done. Or vice versa, he'll show something evil or good and show what the evil side of that is. Remember in James chapter 2, I believe it was, he talked about hypocrisy in the sense of being a respecter of persons. He compared how people were treating those who were rich to how they were treating those who were poor. He said how you're treating the rich should be how you treat all, not just because they have... A station. And we talked about how that all affected the early church as well, and we won't get into that for time's sake. But he's showing a a contrast here to the wisdom of the world that's causing division, that's causing fights, that's causing pettiness. (laughs) He says the wisdom that is from God is first pure. If you were to take that word pure, what would be your definition? Just a a simple definition for the word pure. Without blemish. blemish, That's a good one. Without blemish. What was it? Holy, those are both really good ones. Holy being set apart without blemish, not having something that corrupts. Those are really good definitions. If we're trying to find something that is pure, let's say water, for instance. If I were to have a bottle of water sitting here and I say, this is is great water, it is pure, it is clean, and you walk up and there's a little black speck in it, how many of you are drinking that water? Don't want to touch it, right? Now, I can also show a bottle of water, and it's perfectly clear. It looks good. Maybe you're really thirsty, and you really want a bottle of water. And I say, that's perfectly pure water. And you take a drink of it, and you spit it right back out because it's full of salt. It's still not pure, right? It's not able to be drank. It looked good, but it wasn't able to be drank. Christianity is much, much like that. Christianity can be overtly corrupted. It can look bad on the outside. You can see the little speck there, and you say, "Eh, I'm not going to do that. I'm sure many of us have had an experience before we walked into a church that had Church of Christ on the sign outside. You walk inside, and you immediately are like, something's wrong here. I don't know what it is, but i got a bad gut feeling right now. You can't place what it is, and eventually you have a conversation maybe with one of the elders, one of the members, and you find out what the problem was. Maybe there's a doctrinal error. Maybe there's a problem with the people there. I know a friend of mine who went into a congregation one time and he walked right back out because everyone in there did not want a black guy in the church with them. <laughs> so that's, that's happened before. There are churches that are like that. So when we look at these situations, we can see sometimes there's an issue that is under the radar. But other times we can go to a congregation, everything seems fine. And then over time, we start to see some corrosion happen. We start to see, that, that didn't look quite right. And those who are trained for those kind of things, those who read the Word of God, focus on the Word of God, they're quick to pick up on those things. But maybe someone who doesn't read as much, who's not as well-versed in the Word of God, they don't pick up as quickly. See, we're looking for wisdom that is pure, undefiled by the world. Now, it's fascinating he brings this up because think about what the day and age was doing again. A wise and intelligent person by the world's standards accepted from all ideas. We sat down, have a powwow, and we say, okay, what good idea do we have here? Remember when Paul in Acts chapter 17 went to Athens and he's on Mars Hill. What does it say about the wise men there? They wanted to hear him speak for what reason? Does anybody remember? Unknown to, Unknown to them, they wanted to learn some new thing. You see, for us today, our pastimes may be golfing, fishing, hunting, whatever. A man of class in that day and age, his hobby was swapping ideas. Sitting down and talking to somebody about all these different ideas, philosophy, a love of knowledge was what completely overtook the day. And from a historical standpoint, people look at that day and age and they say this was a really good thing because people were reasoning, people were learning and growing. It doesn't take you long, though, to realize that a lot of the ideas they were coming up with were pretty bogus. (laughs) It doesn't take long to read it and realize there is some pretty messed up stuff that was come up by people because, again, they were looking at it from the standpoint of humanity can improve itself humanity can figure out enough morality to make ourselves perfect, to make ourselves the ideal specimen of people. And so from doing that, they only had the morality that was within themselves. They didn't have any other standard of morality. So when Christianity came along, they were perfectly fine to say, oh, look, it's another sect of Judaism. It's another idea we can listen to. And then they heard what it was actually saying. When you have an ideology that's saying, you will have no other gods before me. That you will have no other doctrine than that which I have taught. When Jesus himself said the words that I have spoken, the same shall judge you in the last day. That starts to be a problem. Remember how it was described to the Jews? It was a stumbling block. You're hindering people from obeying the old law because you're trying to lead them away. But what did it say the Greeks thought of Christianity? The teaching of the cross, of Jesus, what did they say about it? Foolishness. It was foolishness. Because what sane person who has all power would humble themselves and die on the cross? That makes no sense. That doesn't follow. That is not reasonable. See, that's what was taking place. So when he's saying the wisdom that is from above, the wisdom that comes from God is pure, it means it's un. Defiled by anything on Earth. It's not the ideas of men. It's not trial and error from wicked people. This was from an almighty God, the ideas that were from him, first and foremost. All right you got it. To, go to that source: don't Absolutely. Absolutely. You go to the source, which was unique for that day and age, because they had no actual source. The source of knowledge was collaboration. The source of knowledge was sitting down and talking to everybody and finding out what their ideas are. Friends, if we do that with the Word of God, we have corrupted it. Since you mentioned water, Jesus said whosoever will, let him take the waters of life freely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's it works. He, he's taking from a, a special source, he's taking from something that is unique. You see, what Paul was talking about, in fact, he himself, remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 when they were saying, well, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas, I'm of Christ. What did Paul say? I didn't baptize any of you. Were you baptized in the name of Paul? You were baptized in the name of Christ. Listen to him. In fact, Paul even said, be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. He's saying, don't follow me if I'm not following him. This is a special source here. So he says we are to use the wisdom as from above. So it says first pure, then peaceable. Peaceable. In our day and age, as of 2024, what is the fastest growing religion on earth? What do you think it is? The fastest growing religion on earth, 2024. Okay, I think it's Right on the money. I'm almost like wokeism <laughs> Well, that's actually losing steam. (laughs) But Islam is growing by leaps and bounds, even among those who are atheists. It is growing very rapidly. And one of the common comparisons that people make, they say, I think that Islam is better than Christianity because Islam defends itself. That's their big argument. Islam produces itself as strong. Christians are over here wishy-washy, and I'm just trying to make you feel good about yourself. Islam's over here, and they have a God who says, you don't dare defile my book. Friends, do you think there maybe is a mess up on how we've been teaching God in America? No, we're not those who pick up spears and swords and go fight in a physical battle. But God is not weak. God is not wishy-washy. God does not look around a community and say, what's going to make you feel good? He says, here's what is right, here's what is wrong. You can accept it or reject it. That's the reality. It's not pleasant, it's not comfortable, but that's the reality. But people have taken the Word of God and they've corrupted it so much that it has no foundation. To so many people around our country and around our world, they don't even understand a God who has any care about His Word. To them, they believe... I actually heard a guy the other day. He was a... I believe he was a priest in the Church of England. I could be wrong on that. But he got up and he said, there's three things about Christianity that is actually false and you won't believe what it is. This is his big spill. He comes up and he says, first of all, Jesus is not God. Jesus was born by Joseph and Mary of natural means. A a preacher in a church. Said this. Second, the Bible is not the Word of God. We learn the Word of God by dealing with good people. And finally, he said, God does not have a gender. God does not identify himself as male, even though the Bible says he, him, Lord, King, God, <laughs> all those moments. And frankly, I don't want to be the one to call God anything but what he called himself. <laughs> But that's the world that people are hearing. That is the state of Christianity in 2024. People who don't know the Word of God or who are maliciously hiding it. So when God is describing these things, He said, It is first pure, but it is peaceable. How many of you have heard the definition of the word meek? And what it actually means? Well, actually, let me ask this first. When you think of meek, what is, what is an animal that you think of when you think of meek? A sheep, okay? A sheep. So when we think of meekness, our idea goes to dumb and defenseless. That's our mindset when it comes to the word meek. Do you know what meek really has the characteristic of? A lion who's tired. A lion, it has power. It can defend itself. It can do what it needs to do. But it's not bothered by this. It's not bothered by what's going on. I pick my battles. Christians are to be that way. We pick our battles. We are peaceable because we are people who seek for peace. We want things to be mutual. We want things to be kind. We want things to be civil. But we're not people who compromise what's right and wrong to do that. So he says, it is peaceable, it is pure, it is gentle. It is gentle. Again, taking that image of a lion. How does a lion play with its cubs? It's fairly gentle, is it not? That thing could crush that little cub. But it's gentle with it. It cares for it. It's one of its own. It protects it. So... That's kind of the image we should have in our minds about what meekness is, about what gentleness is. We're kind to people not because we have to be, not because we're appeasing them. No, we're being kind to them because they have dignity. We're being kind to them because we have respect for them because that's a soul. That is a person that God created and that God wants. Then he goes on, easy to be entreated. Now, this one's kind of fascinating because in 2024... Easy to be entreated is not something we think about. What does that word mean? Easy to be entreated, or that phrase, easy to be entreated. What what does that mean? What's a simple word for that? Approachable. Approachable. It is easy to come and to listen, to talk. Christians are supposed to be people who are easy to talk to. You can come up to us, you can ask us questions about Christianity, you can ask us questions about God, and we're willing to sit down and answer them. We're willing to talk to you. Is there a problem with a lot of people in being easily entreated in our world right now? When you disagree with someone, how quickly does that conversation get hostile? Friends, that should not be us. When people ask questions and people disagree with us, we should have the mentality of, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to talk to you, I'm going to answer those questions. If I don't know, I need to figure them out too. Go ahead. Mhm. Yeah, absolutely. Kindly entreating them. When God offers the message, he rings it out as a good and pleasant thing. He says, look, you're lost. You're going to hell. This is the circumstances of the world. But you don't have to. You have a better way. You have a path that I'm willing to give you. So it is a kindness. It is a good thing. But easy to be entreated is definitely part of it. Full of mercy and good fruits. And we ran out of time. But full of mercy. We are offering them the same thing that God offered to us. We have the same mentality towards others that God had because we're trying to mimic Him. That time went by so quick. But we're going to pick up with that next week. Thank you so much for your attention. You are dismissed.